ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, guys, I'm joining you this evening, and it is a momentous time in our history because we are getting ready to see the rebirth of Russia as the evil empire. And best case scenario going forward, we're going to reignite the Cold War. Worst case scenario is the beginning of World War III. Uh, It's not all bad news uh, because now Russians can go back to being the bad guys in all of our action movies. You know, since the fall of the Russian Empire, you know, it was East German mercenaries for a little while, and then it was Muslim terrorists for a little while. You hear lately we've been doing British white guys, which just leaves a little of the imagination. They never quite hit home the way a good group of Eastern German military commandos did. But the Russians really enjoyed a long and illustrious career as the antagonists in movies, all the way back to the Bond franchise, and it's going to be good to have them back, I guess. Now, I don't really think it's any question that Putin actually will invade Ukraine, mostly because I can't see Joe Biden really doing much, and I really don't expect the U.N. to do much. Uh, Ukraine has been trying to join the U.N. for years The U.N. refuses to vote on their membership because they're afraid of pissing Russia off. Well, if they're afraid of letting Ukraine join the U.N. because they don't want to agitate Russia, I really don't know how aggressively they're going to defend the Ukraine from Russia. I don't have a great deal of respect for the U.N. peacekeepers to begin with. Now, they live up to their name because those guys won't fight anybody. Now, they'll let War atrocities happen all around them, but those guys will not fire a shot. They are the definition of peaceful. Uh, They can definitely keep the peace amongst themselves because, like I say, they will not fight anybody. But I do not see them being any kind of a deterrent to Russia moving into the Ukraine. And as far as we go, I really kind of feel like Joe Biden has been bought and paid for by Putin. There is a lot of connections with him and his son to Russia. Again, this is one of those instances where if we had a media that actually did any kind of journalism, we could have found all this out before he was elected. And now we're in this mess and it's too late for it to matter. So good times, everybody. Another interesting thing, Joe Biden shut down all the oil production. Now, when he came into office, his his first and number one goal is to erase anything that Trump did. And under Trump, we had actually achieved oil independence for the first time in something like 50 years. We were actually producing as much oil as we used on a daily basis. We were actually exporting our leftover oil. Now, I'm not actually here to discuss the importance of us being energy independent, and I'm not here to discuss whether it was right for Biden to do that. I think It's interesting that we're the only country in the history of mankind who has not utilized all of its natural resources. There's a reason nobody else has done that. And in 100 years, people are going to look at us and just the whole discussion is going to be how could that many people be that stupid. But I'm not here to have a political debate. I'm actually here to have an economic debate because I want to talk about the market forces that shutting down oil production flies in the face of. And I want to talk a little bit about how the market ebbs and flows. Again, I don't want to discuss Joe Biden's reasoning for shutting down oil production. I understand why he did it. The left has decided that 
crude oil is the equivalent of the sweat off of Satan's backside, and we should never, ever, ever do anything with it. And again, they just had to eliminate anything Trump did. You know, let's not worry about whether it's a good idea. Let's just get rid of it because we just want to erase his legacy as completely as we possibly can. So I understand why Joe Biden did it. You know, but just because I understand why somebody does something does not factor into the discussion of whether it's stupid or not. But again, I'm not wanting to do a political discussion. I just want to talk about how shutting that down was never going to work and how it's affecting things now. We all have seen the most immediate effect of shutting down the oil production, and that is gas has doubled since he's taken office. Uh, last time I purchased gas, I think it's uh, four fifteen here in Pennsylvania. It's quite a bit cheaper in Virginia, where my family lives, but it has doubled there too. Uh, generally, gasoline up here is fifty to sixty cents more than it is back home in Virginia, and of course that affects the price of everything because every single thing you purchase gets to your house via something that runs on gasoline. You know, if you go to Walmart or the mall and buy something, all that stuff was delivered on a truck. If you order something from Amazon, it gets delivered in a van. The price of gasoline affects every single other commodity you purchase in your day-to-day -day life. So obviously, that is a big part of inflation. I think it's at 7%, which is, from what I'm hearing, the most in 40 years. But we are suffering the effects of this right now because of two fallacies that the administration believes at this time. And we've already mentioned the fact that they believe that petroleum is evil. Petroleum is not evil. It's not poisonous. You know, like a lot of things, that there are some harmful chemicals in it. If you separate them out and concentrate them, then yes, you shouldn't grab a bottle of it and drink it. But petroleum, well, first and foremost, petroleum, crude oil, is nothing more than oceanic plankton. When they died, they sank to the bottom of the ocean, they got covered up, and in a low-oxygen, high-pressure environment, after a couple of million years, all those dead plankton, the little plants and the bacterium that make up the plankton universe, turned into crude oil. It is simply organic material that has not fully decomposed. We've said it before, it's basically, coal's basically the same way, except coal is made out of strictly vegetable matter, and crude oil is sea plankton. But if you stop and look around your room right now, barring things that are made completely out of wood, like if you have a dining table that is just 100% wood, pretty much everything that you can see in your field of view, including the clothes on your back, probably, and when I say probably, I mean almost certainly, is a petroleum product. Petroleum goes into pretty much everything we see, touch, wear, ride around in, anything on a daily basis. It is used in just an endless number of products. So number one, we can't really get rid of crude oil. We would absolutely have to change the very nature of our society to completely get off of crude oil products. And the whole basis of this is, you know, we need to go to electric cars. Well, even if we go to electric cars, we can't stop using petroleum because even if all the cars in the United States suddenly were 100% electric, just plug in electric vehicles, not hybrids, because that uses a gasoline engine. I mean, 100% electric, even then we would still need oil because all of the lawnmowers, the string trimmers, the chainsaws, portable generators, Boats, tractors, RVs, heavy equipment, all this stuff 
uses gasoline engines. We would still need petroleum. So you're really kind of a fighting an uphill battle right there off the bat. Uh, but one thing I want to kind of drift off subject just a little bit, and let's talk about electric cars really quickly. Electric cars have a very big carbon footprint when they hit the lot. I have seen studies that say if you bought an all-electric or a hybrid car, you would have to drive that vehicle for 15 years before you even break even on your carbon footprint, simply because of all that goes into producing that vehicle to begin with. And to quote Jeremy Clarkson, if you think that mining for nickel in Canada and putting it on a boat and shipping it to Sweden to be turned into a foam that gets put on a boat and shipped to Europe to get turned into a battery that gets put onto a boat and shipped to Japan, that gets put into a vehicle that gets put onto a boat and shipped to the United States, if you think purchasing that vehicle does anything for the environment, you're a fool. And it turns out that that's absolutely true. You know, all that diesel fuel, all that mining, all that manufacturing, all that stuff has a footprint. Now, personally, I don't think that we're hurting the planet anywhere close to what the alarmists think. And when I say that, I mean, I think we're barely hurting it at all. Uh, We can discuss that in another show. I've touched on it briefly in some others. But when you take all that into account, plus the fact that when you plug that vehicle in at night, Almost certainly, the wire that you're plugging it into was coming from a coal-fired plant in this country. Or, if you're like me, that has a nuclear plant 20 miles away from me, I can almost see the place from my house. Now, I can't see the plant itself from my house. But in the mornings, I can see the plumes of steam coming out of the cooling towers, I am very close to a nuclear plant, so if I were to plug it in, it's not coming from a coal-fired plant, but I don't have a plug-in car. And the hybrids, people talk about the hybrids. Well, with the hybrid, you've got all those issues with the batteries, same as you do with a plug-in electric. But here's the thing, if you're running on the gasoline power engine in that car, it is producing more CO2 than a regular engine would because those engines are so tiny, it's having to work so hard to move the vehicle that it's actually more pollutant than a regular four-cylinder, six-cylinder, eight-cylinder engine. And here's the really big thing about these vehicles. It's not a huge deal at the moment because there's not a great deal of them on the road. But as I said, you would have to drive that vehicle for 15 years before you broke even on your carbon emissions. That battery is only going to last about a dozen years. I've said before that usually, when I was working at the Toyota dealership, usually what pushed people out of old Priuses and gave them the impetus to buy a new vehicle is about 12 or 13 years of age, they would bring that vehicle in for an appointment because they've got a light on their dash. Well, when the car gets to the dealership, the light is for the hybrid battery. We will check it. There's some tests that we can run to see if it's something with the charging system or the connections. 99% of the time in a vehicle that old, when that light came on, it meant that the battery had run its course and had to be replaced. If you want to replace that battery, it's about a $6,000 job. That usually pushes people out of a 12 or 13-year-old car because they don't want to put that into a repair. They say, well, no, I'll just trade it in and I'll get a new one. 
that's the end of their issue with it. The other issue that people need to consider as we, you know, start the government starts purchasing all these vehicles, more and more people are buying hybrids and plug-in electrics. That battery has to be recycled. It's full of heavy metals. It's full of hazardous materials. And when you've got millions of cars every year with that battery going bad, what are we going to do with those batteries? That is something you need to factor in when you're driving around feeling all smug about yourself. What a great humanitarian you are because you bought a Prius. That actually was not all that of a brief foray into hybrids and plug-in electrics. But let's get back on topic because the other fallacy that this administration is working on when they decided to get rid of all of our oil production, obviously not all, but, but what was putting us over the top toward being energy independent was that they are trying to push people to buy hybrids and electric cars. They are convinced that that's the wave of the future. And you know what? Maybe at some point they will get rid of a lot of the the sticking points on these cars, and most people will have them. But the fact of the matter is, is it's not you're not to half of the cars that are being purchased. Now, most people want gasoline-powered cars because they're reliable, They're convenient. It's easy to get gas. It's quick to get gas. You don't have to sit at the gas station for an hour and a half while your tank fills up. People are comfortable with it because it is a familiar technology. Most people are still buying gasoline cars. The administration is attempting to manipulate the market and push people in this direction. That does not work. The market has an ebb and flow. It kind of does what it does. And you can't force it to go one certain way. And what they're doing by getting rid of the oil production is they're trying to make it so that gasoline is expensive to the point that people will start buying hybrids and they'll start buying electric cars. Now, if that was just happening in a vacuum, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. But we've already been discussing some of the problems with this move. Number one, the inflation. Everything has went, just the price of everything has just went insane. I mean, milk is almost $5 a gallon. It's, it's ridiculous how expensive it is to go to the grocery store now. And that's just going to get worse. And then there's a lot of other issues with trying to force people into hybrid electric cars. Number one, our electric grid cannot handle the extra load if everybody got an electric car. And ironically, it's places where people are probably a little more likely to want to get an electric car, places like California, New York. Um, Again, if if 75% of the people where I live went out and bought an electric car, it probably would not make a big difference. But you've got states where most of these tree-hugging people live that will probably be happy to get a plug-in electric car, that their electrical grid is strained to the maximum as it is. And you're going to have rolling blackouts. You're going to have just all kinds of power outages. Electricity is going to go through the roof because they're having to to get it brought in from so far away. And you know, the further you transmit electricity, the more energy is lost on the way. It's, it's going to be a big mess. They're not thinking about any of this stuff. And that's the kind of thing that the market sorts out on its own as this stuff progresses and evolves. You've got to remember why we have gasoline cars as the dominant car now anyway. And strangely enough, it's because the whaling industry collapsed. Whale oil at the end of the 19th century was used for heating your home, lamps. Whale oil was a major fuel source. Well, they had been hunted to the point that it was getting very, very hard 
for these whaling fleets to go out and actually kill a whale. Well, people still needed light at night. People still wanted not to freeze to death in the winter. And it, it was about this time people had been, you know, we'd have been aware of crude oil for a long time. Nobody had really found a good use for it. I think mostly it was used as a lubricant. Uh, but people were experimenting with products that they could come up with and you know find uses for this stuff that at the time was really easy to pump out because we hadn't used any of it. Well, somebody figured out a way to heat the oil up to a certain temperature and this clear oily liquid would come off. We call it kerosene. And kerosene replaced whale oil for heating homes and running lamps. And it was a great product. Everything else was just sort of a byproduct. I think, you know, we would use tar. I don't know if they had discovered Vaseline yet. Vaseline, actually, you feel like a lot of people think that that's somehow processed from the uh, the crude oil. That is actually a byproduct that just occurs naturally. Something about the churning motion of the drill will sort of separate this white petroleum jelly. It used to be called drill wax. And somebody noticed that the people running the oil drills, if they had a cut or something, they would get some of this off of the oil rigs and put it on the cuts, and it would help it heal faster. That is actually, I mean, there's very little processing involved in that. That is pretty much just straight out of the crude oil. You have grown up putting that on your children's butthole and on your lips. You don't think anything about it. That is... I mean, that is as close to just crude oil out of the ground as any product we use. That's how dangerous crude oil is. If you need a good example of how often we use this stuff, we don't even think about it. But there were all these other products that could come out of that oil, but it was all just considered waste because there was no use for this stuff. Well, somebody found out that at a temperature very close to where the kerosene would come out, you could start getting fuel oils like uh, diesel fuel gasoline but there was again there was no real use for this of course the fuel oil came in very handy a lot of people heated their homes with a lot of people still heat their homes with fuel oil and we had this huge network of filling stations now back then when you said filling station you did not mean gasoline for your car what that meant was uh, people would come to get fuel oil for their homes or kerosene well then the car was invented and believe it or not in the early days of the automobile, around 1905-1910, there were three types of vehicles that you would see on the road. There was internal combustion engine vehicles that we're all familiar with. Uh, there were steam engines. A lot of people have seen those, the Stanley Steamer. You know, if you watch Jay Leno's Garage, you'll see a Stanley Steamer. Uh, basically, just like a railroad locomotive shrunk down to fit into a vehicle. But the most popular vehicle and the most numerous vehicle on the road in the early 1900s in the infancy of the automobile were electric cars. Now, that sounds made up, but it's absolutely true. There were more electric cars on the road in 1905 than there were steam engines or internal combustion engines. But the cars back then suffered from the exact same thing that they do now. Uh, there was very few places to to charge them up, you know, electricity wasn't widespread like it is now, and the batteries had a very, very short lifespan. You, know, you couldn't go very far in them. You know, we, we really can't go far now. It's a hundred years later. Can you imagine what the range was on an electric car in 1905? And it's been the same thing that has plagued electric cars you know, from from then all the way till now. And it's just a simple fact that it's easy to produce electricity. We're very good at that. 
it is extremely hard to store electricity. We don't think about that because we've always had batteries and everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, we just, you put a battery in it and it will, batteries cannot take a lot of use before they wear out and they won't recharge. They discharge their electricity very quickly. That's why if you want to run something for a long time, you need an extremely big battery that's adding weight, which reduces the runtime that you're going to be able to do because it's having to carry that big battery around. People don't realize how difficult it is to store electricity. And that is one of the biggest hurdles to all electric cars. You know, someday we'll figure out a way around that. But for right now, that is something that you have to take into consideration. So you had these three cars on the road, you know, the electric, steam, and internal combustion. Why did the internal combustion win out? You know, there's no steam cars anymore. We're just starting to see electric cars reemerge into the market. Why did the uh, internal combustion win out and just completely dominate for the next 80 years? Well, the reason beyond number one, the engine's just being efficient. It's very good at what it does. It's very efficient at turning fuel into usable power. And plus, just as the years went on and the engines became refined and, and tolerances got better and we got better at building the things, they have become just absolutely completely reliable. And people say, well, yeah, cars break down. Well, yeah, sure they do. But most people don't take care of their cars at all. And they'll get in them and they'll drive them every single day and they won't have a major breakdown for six or seven years. That's a lot of use out of a machine with zero issues and zero maintenance in most cases. I mean, a lot of people won't even take the time to change the oil in their car. But another reason that the internal combustion and gasoline engines won out over all those other systems was because we already had an infrastructure in place to deliver gasoline to the people buying the cars because all of these oil companies that were refining the oil, they already had filling stations set up all over the country. And the only thing they had to do is they had to put another tank in beside the kerosene and the fuel oil that held gasoline. So all that stuff was there. They already had distribution. They already had employees that knew how to use the equipment. All they had to do was, like I say, install a third tank at their filling stations, filled up with gasoline, and they were ready to deliver gasoline to the customers. That is a major reason why gasoline engines were the dominant engine in vehicles all the way through the 20th century. Now, there is a great deal of hubris amongst the administration that they believe that they can mandate how the market goes that's been tried many times, it always fails. Now, there was a philosopher and economist from Scotland named Adam Smith. Um, he, he coined the term invisible hand. Now, I don't think he came up with that because I've seen references to that phrase from earlier than his time. But basically what he was saying is that the way the market moves to fill needs and to satisfy the wants of the populace it's almost as if it's being guided by an invisible hand. And what, you know, so he was sort of making a euphemism to, you know, there's like a divine overseer that makes sure that this goes where it needs. Now, obviously, he wasn't saying that God was in charge of the marketplace. But what he was saying was, is that as needs and wants open up in the market, companies and individuals will find ways to provide the services and the products that the people are wanting. And they're not doing it because they're trying to be 
charitable and help these people with their needs. They're doing it in their own self-interest. They're trying to make a profit. But the benefit that is brought to the consumer is undeniably a good thing. When you allow that to run its course and try and don't try to interfere and don't try to push it in a direction because you would just like to see it go in that direction, everything works fine. The market will do what the market will do. And as far as people, you know, people trying to make a profit, that has become a dirty word. Profit makes the world go round. We all do things because we benefit in some way. You know, we all get up and go to work. It's not because, you know, in my case, it's not because I love getting yelled at by people because their car was done three minutes later than what I told them it would be. It's because I've got bills. I need to pay. I need to pay bills. I need money to pay those bills. That's why I'm getting up and going to work. You know, I I enjoy what I do, and I really like the people I work with. I'm not doing it for those reasons. I'm doing it for my personal gain, specifically my checking account. And it's the same with these businesses. Everybody says, oh, they're just trying to make a profit. Yeah, that's what businesses do. That's why businesses exist. That's why we have Starbucks and Apple and Nike and Ford and Nissan and Toyota. That's why all of these things exist, because somebody wanted to make money. It's not evil. We all do it every day. Everything you do, you do because you get some kind of benefit from it. Even the most altruistic person you have ever met, the person that does the most for charity, spends the most time volunteering, makes the biggest donations, they are doing it because they're getting something out of it. Now, in that situation, what they're getting is a sense of fulfillment, a sense of contentment, but they are getting something for what they're doing. That's why they're spending their time and spending their money doing it. It's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't volunteer, but I'm saying that you do get a benefit from these things, and that's why we do them as human beings. And that's how the market works. By and large, it is because the people's wants and needs will dictate where the market goes. And when you stand up and believe that you can force the market to go into an unnatural direction, it's going to cause problems. Inflation comes about shortages come about. And in this situation, we are getting ready to go to war with the country that we are purchasing the excess oil from that we need because we shut down oil production. Now, that is an extreme example, obviously, but that is what happens when you try to dictate what the market should do. The market does not listen to Joe Biden. The market listens to the consumers. And the consumers are having a pretty rough go of it right now. And when the bullets start flying in Eastern Europe, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is a little bit of a downer to go out on. But that is all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please leave me a like and a comment. And a subscription is always greatly appreciated. You can leave me a comment at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com, or you can go to the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys, I appreciate you sitting with me this long. I hope you had a good start to your work week, and I hope the rest of it clicks along just fine as well. We will talk again very soon, and as always, thank you very much. Good night.